You're listening to 50% Facts, the show where we try to answer specific questions on an individual topic, and then at the end, we bring in an expert to give you the real answers. I'm Jim McDonald. And I'm Mike Farr. Welcome to our show. So I never do this often, but uh, we got to shout out our guy. I call him Profe. I don't even know his real name. Connor, you know his real name? I don't know his real name. He's an OG fan, and he's followed us for a very long time. Okay. Then I found him through Twitch. I've been streaming like a madman on Twitch, uh-huh. and I've built friends there. I have internet friends. I'm the guy I used to make fun of. You know, like, <laughs> like you only make friends on the internet. Or right. Like, or isn't it weird you're playing with these people online every single day and you don't know them? That's me now. So I met, I met him through my, my homegirl, Silo. Uh, Silo's a streamer as well, and on Twitch you have moderators that basically just run your chat for you. Is that a real person? Is it a real name? Silo's a real name. Okay. Silo's a real name. Profit is not. I just call him Profit. His name's Professor Lefter on the internet. That's his internet okay. name. He's Belgium. Okay. Don't know his real name. Sorry, bro. I talk to him every single day. <laughs> I just call him Profit <laughs> every single day. I've talked to him every single day for like six months. I don't know his real name. <laughs> Uh, That's excellent. I know he's Belgium. Uh, I know he played professional soccer. I know that I'm way better at video games than him. Uh, but besides those points, I don't know much. But we got into a discussion of foods uh-huh. and what the hell's from Belgium. Right. Uh, Belgium's not that big, right? They speak 20 languages. Uh, French, not really, but French, German, Dutch, right? Like, it's kind of a weird country. You always hear about France. You always hear about England. You always hear about whatever, Italy, Italy, mm-hmm. pizza, pasta, this and that. But right. Belgium, he told me, and then we fact-checked, created the French fry. What? They got chocolate, Belgium yeah. chocolate. They got beer, right. tons of beer, duh, yeah. great. Trappistales. He said the French fry was invented there. And uh, that lead me to, we we had a probably, what, an hour conversation of where foods are from. Like, I think I think Connor brought it up. Like, what's a Belgium meal? You know, like, what, what are you having for dinner? And uh-huh. I was like, well, we can't really say that here because we're a mesh pot of everything. Right. You say apple pie, pumpkin pie, hot dog, but I don't even know yeah. if we made any of those. Right. Uh, I think maybe hot dog. Maybe I think Chicago World's Fair is hot dog. Maybe yeah, so, yeah. And then hamburger we probably didn't invent. Turn of the twentieth century. Yeah. See, I believe it. But apple pie, I'm sure yeah. somebody that was in Europe somewhere. Maybe I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, uh, and pumpkin pie. Maybe we'll do a whole episode on apple pie. That would be great. <laughs> I'll call up Martha Stewart. We'll be our expert. <laughs> hey Martha, she owes me a couple favors. <laughs> She'll tell me about the pumpkin pie. But uh, yeah, so shout out the profit for for following for a long time, and now he helps me on the internet, and that was the end of the story. But French fries from Belgium kind of blew my mind. Okay, so just for clarification, you guys actually hear each other. You're not typing this shit, right? So, uh, so when he's in the chat, like he'll he'll control my chat, right? Like in case people are being racist or talking politics, uh-huh. something we don't want, he'll ban them, and he does all that. But okay. he'll actually play with us too. So we're talking over a microphone. Okay, it's amazing too because you think like uh, <laughs> you think like Arnold Schwarzenegger act type accent, right? Because he speaks Dutch, French, right? And right. he kind of does, but I think he learned English like I think a lot of people in the world by watching TV. Mm-hmm. So first time we, very first time me and Connor played with him, he he kind of had like a San Diego surfer thing and we're like you fucking liar you're not from Belgium you know he's like hey dude what the fuck is going on but uh yeah he's kind of like Arnold Schwarzenegger surfer type accent and that's all I got there you go bro there's your shout out now you can pay me this is not our friend Raph is it no 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 I've seen his Instagram I know what he looks like 
Um, but I don't know. I Raf's don't. in Spain anyway, but he's from Belgium. Yeah, no, no. Raf is still in Belgium. He played pro soccer, like a, in, a, in a high league in Turkey and stuff for a while, and then now he just kind of powerless and plays that's, video games with us all day. That's craziness. But yeah, but yeah, I, I only know him through video games. But he said he's he's listened to us and and watched our stuff for a long time. So small world on the internet. We've been doing this for a long time, though. That t- that tells you we've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, it, it blows my mind. I know the internet's a world wide web. I'm aware what it stands yeah. for, but it's still weird. Like, how did someone in Belgium randomly come across me and you lifting weights or me and you talking into a microphone? Yeah, like, I don't know. You know, and I guess they Google Thank squat. You. Yeah. Thank you, Google. Thank you, YouTube. Yeah, it's just yeah. wild to me. It's still wild to me that people... He, 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 no one in Sacramento knows who we are. <laughs> We've been here. Pretty both much. Of us, both of us have been here a long time. Pretty much. The last time I got recognized in Sacramento was at Costco probably three months ago, four yeah. months ago, something like that, and it had been a long time. Yeah, I just don't go out enough. I just yeah. sit in my head. But, but on the internet, we were walking around. You and I were in New York, uh, whatever, four years ago or something, and we are getting recognized on every street corner. Yeah. And they all listen to podcasts. Yeah. Whatever it might be. Strangest place I ever got uh, recognized was in the uh, parking lot near Niagara Falls on the Canada side. That's random, because you're kind of out in nature. Yeah, I was just like, suspecting. just walking along, and I noticed the guy's like looking at me, like staring, I'm like, okay, that, that feels uncomfortable, but I wasn't by myself, so. Yeah. And then he's like, are you Jim McD? That's like, amazing. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of which, we're talking about about names and tagger, tagger tags, I guess, yeah. ID tags kind of thing. I've been Jim McD since 1999. Oh. Yeah. Um, what's that? Is that college or no? Uh, no. Fuck oh, no. sorry. <laughs> Whoopsie. <laughs> um uh actually I was in college in the nineties. There you go. But but not at the end of All the right, 90s. Fair. See, yeah. I was somewhere in there. Yeah. Like early nineties. All right. Yeah. Was my master's degree was early nineties. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So I haven't changed that yeah, forever. Yeah, 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 same with Silent Mike. Like I, a lot of people know just uh, you can call me Mike. I mean Silent Mike will be around because that's yeah. like an internet thing, but yeah, yeah. that was just Mike Farr is what I've been known for longer. Right. Yeah. We I've never been in a weird spot, but the because the, the, it, it was the Arnold, the Arnold. Uh, we went out to a bar. Uh, me, Omar, uh, some of the homies, and I'm in the urinal taking a pee. <laughs> and it's the Arnold weekend, you know, so right. I get it. But Homeboy Straight has his phone out selfieing, and I, I'm like, Hey, bro, give me ten, like ten, give me ten, ten seconds. And then he does it in the bathroom with the selfie. He's obviously inebriated uh, of some nature, but that was. <laughs> That was the experience. Luckily, I wasn't inebriated because who knows what would have happened. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Bathrooms, photos. I ended up, up on TMZ like Britney Spears. My panties are out. I don't know. I don't know. Let's try to teach these people something. All right. Let's let's uh, let's get into our topic. We're talking about, uh, well, we want to talk to our friend Lane Norton. Yeah. And one of the things we want to discuss is uh, glycemic index, and I guess maybe the flip side of that would be insulin response. And what's the other term? I don't want to overcomplicate our questions. What is glycemic index? Does it have a, a issue is what we're digging down. But I think there's glycemic load. Yeah. And, and glycemic load, which is just an awesome term. Uh, <laughs> I think glycemic load is what's... Um, all right, let's start from the top. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. Glycemic index. Yeah. Something to do with your blood sugar uh, raising or lowering based on what you eat, yeah? And, and they, they associate a rating to a food. Yeah, because uh, things that are, uh, say, simpler carbs turn into uh, blood sugar, glucose, faster. Yeah. That's the idea. Yeah. And, and then uh, the, I think the issues lie in, the issues lie in that um, when they created the glycemic index, I don't know, 70s, 80s, I'm making all this up, 50% fast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they tested it on a f- uh, someone who's fasted for 24 hours or something. 
And that may be true. Yeah. So so then the insulin response and the sugar blood sugar response is not accurate to long term human life. Or just like daily diet. Right. Like you just you know, and you eat combinations of things and it hasn't been twenty four hours right. since you ate last and uh, who knows what that does to your hormones if you've if you're actually fasted. I mean, theoretically it does something. They they would like you to believe that, you know, intermittent fasting actually changes your hormonal response. Over time, I think yeah, that's, that's my what, feeling. Yeah, so I think that's where all the the science starts to collide because you can right. you can quote all these studies that have been done and they're good studies perhaps, but yeah. they're done on fasted people based on the glycemic index. So people point to uh, white rice raises your insulin more than black rice does, right. or brown rice. Yeah, even though black rice, empire rice is delicious, but it is misspoke. really good. So brown rice and white rice is the typical comparison, and, and they say that because it's on this twenty four hour thing. And oh, and if your insulin goes up and down too much, you can get diabetes. You're going to be more likely to store fat or start right. store carbs as fat and all this, except for. Again, the glycemic index was based on this this fasted person, and none of us are fasted, or not really. Not, uh, no. Unle- it, unless you're trying to do intermittent or whatever, you're not going to be that fast. Yeah, and even then, right, we have something going on in our gut because we're not going two days without food or right. whatever. And so then, now when we have things in our food, we have fiber. Mm-hmm. Slows down digestion and, and, and uptake of some mm-hmm. of these, you know, simple sugars. We have uh, uh, fat does right. it as well, and so does protein. Yeah. And how often are we just drinking, ta- you know, table sugar? With yeah. you on a fasted diet, yeah, yeah, you'll probably store extra fat from calories there, and that's where I think diving into this rabbit hole, the calories in, calories out argument starts to begin. If hormones matter, if hormones don't matter, if insulin matters, if if simple sugars matter, or 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 if you can only eat carbo, you know, uh, complex carbs, mm-hmm. well, that's only the case if you're freaking fasted and going by these eighty studies, right? But it has led people to. Um, prefer brown rice over white rice. Right. Uh, uh, sweet potatoes, yams yeah. over over white potatoes. Right. Uh, whole grain breads and pastas over uh, the white stuff. Um, well, and, and but then it starts to really get complicated because if you're starting, so let's say you are on this glycemic index diet, if that's such a thing, I'm sure it is by somebody, right? And you're only following low GI foods, uh-huh. what they call it, right? And so it's kind of the brown rices, the broccolis, the sweet potatoes or whatever. You know what's a really low GI food? A fucking donut. A fucking oh, donut's yeah. insanely low GI. You know why? Because it's got fat, it's got fucking sugar. And so when you eat it, it the insulin response isn't that high because it's got a shit ton of fat in there. Right, and so now I'm on a donut GI diet, and you guys can buy my ebook at getfatmikesdonuts.com. You know, and yeah. that's that's where all these arguments start to really twirl around. And and uh, our guest Lane Norton, who who will hopefully sift some of this, he was on Joe Rogan yeah. with another amazing uh, uh, mind that we'll hopefully have on eventually too, Doctor Diagostino. And Dom's kind of from the the, the keto world. And right. He's from this stuff, even though keto uh, Lane and Dom have. Similar point of views in a lot of things, um, in a lot of instances with nutrition. But that's the keto world is kind of on that low GI thing, talking about insulin making you fat and storing more carbs, and you'll store more carbs as fat and this and that. And mm-hmm. Lane and even Diagostino and many others, although I don't want to speak for them, are more obviously you need to have some kind of calorie balance because GI is not going to be the end all be all. As an aside from that, actually going off that uh, episode of Rogan, the thing that bugged me about that episode was that they were trying to make the point that certain diets have better adherence for some people. Um, and Dom was saying, you know, a keto diet is easier for a lot of people to stick to. But you should stick to whatever, or you should do whatever diet you can stick to. And Rogan was arguing about willpower. And I think that 
I mean, we're not all gifted with the same level of, of willpower in the same way that we're not all gifted with the same um, uh, insulin processing or, you know, sure. whatever, uh, tendency to gain or, or weight or gain fat or gain muscle or yeah. be good looking or be smart or any of those things. It's not a level playing field in that regard. Yeah. So I think you can't really, you can't really bang on people too much for not always having the self-control. And what you what we also have to talk about is like we have to talk about what we're what the diet is we're talking about and what we're applying it to. So yeah. when people talk about what's a healthy diet, what are we talking about longevity of life, uh, losing weight, uh, performance in a sport? Uh, do you have a condition? You know, maybe right. you have a real insulin condition. Maybe you have a real diabetic issue, mm-hmm. right? So all those diets are going to look a bit, little bit different. And then within that, we're going to have to tweak it for the actual individual, like you said, genetics, because mm-hmm. some people do respond differently to carbs and et cetera. Although I think... The amount that people, and maybe we're gonna even ask Lane this: the amount people actually uh, react to these things is is a smaller threshold than we all think. Mm-hmm. You know, same with like testosterone. People's like, "Oh, I got high tests, and that's why I'm jacked." Well, like, you know, what 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 a natural testosterone level is, it, it doesn't make that much of a difference. There's different things going on. Um, and on that episode, I agree with you 100. I think Lane and Diagostino were kind of talking about ways to psychologically plan and set yourself up for success. Mm-hmm. If you're an alcoholic and you buy the house above a liquor store, right. you're you're not going to get as much right. adherence to being sober. And that's kind of what Lane and them were going into. Well, okay, we, yes, yeah, some, ha- some people are just bad motherfuckers and can say no to mm-hmm. food. Some people, I think, and maybe this is research somewhere, it, it's a palate issue. Some people can't taste food. And so, like, of course you're going to be skinny. Yeah. You don't love food like I love food. Yeah. Um, I, our friend Robot. Yeah, robot fucking eats dry ass broccoli and rice twenty four seven. He's happy as shit. Yeah, because he doesn't really have uh, advanced taste buds. He's yeah. not going to pick up the nuance and yeah. whatever. He's never going to be a wine connoisseur. Yeah, you know, he's yeah. never going to be that guy. And then there's multiple layers to that too. There's there's the psychological attachment to food, whether you get it from a kid or uh, you know as your childhood you yeah. learn that, or you just have it. I think maybe. Yeah. Plus the palate, uh, and that's what Lane's kind of setting people up for. Let's set up, and he's broad stroking it. We're talking about America's obesity issues. Yeah. You know how many p- different types of people here we're a melting pot of different cultures different types of people different incomes different lifestyles so we have to broad stroke this and that's what really makes the conversation so difficult for even the 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 greatest minds in some nutrition the lane nortons and the diagostinos let alone people like me you and fucking rogan right so today i'm i've opened the paper and uh once again there's another study that says uh one thing and then Tomorrow, there'll be a study that says something different. But this one says that uh, cutting back on carbs is the best way to cut back on weight in the uh, headline here. But I think that what they're really saying is that it, it that what they're measuring is that some people on low calorie, on low carb diets, regardless of calories, burn more calories. Yeah. And I think that's the argument that some keto people will make and i just don't know this study we're gonna ask lane because hopefully he read it or 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 we'll do research and get back to us because i think that is the the only significant part that that's maybe still a mystery to me yeah you know because because there's there's the palatability palatability of eating more fat or less carbs but to me it's a lot of energy balance obviously eating higher protein can allow you to build more muscle or maintain your muscle as well as keep you more satiated um you know, eating a lot of protein, you're just not going to be as hungry as if you're eating a lot of waffles and fries. But if there's an actual physiological effect and you're burning more calories, uh, stationary, mm-hmm. eating low car- carbs, then now now we have a whole different discussion to, to open up. Yeah, and this article talks about uh, there are certain people in this study who are uh, apparently high secretors of insulin 
And those people were burning between 308 and 478 more calories a day. Now, what I don't know is how they measured that. That's not really... Yeah, I think um, uh, breathing, they can do it. Yeah, but I mean, they didn't have people on... Monitored, yeah. Uh, 24-7. That's kind right. of a lot. I guess maybe rate. Maybe they figured out through rate. Yeah, I don't know either. And then, um, yeah, these were obese people, I think you told me, off air. They were obese before yeah. before they died. It was 100 and something people. Yeah, and so, so that all plays a role. Like Age will play a role. Right. Um, so we have some things to dig into. But um, glycemic index, is it is it fucking important? Does it suck? Glycemic load, uh, I think, uh, before I hopped in front of myself, I think glycemic load was... Something to do. Uh, I, I wish I remembered these things. I'm so dumb. Are we uh, gonna look it up? Or? No, I'll just fake it, and then Lane will tell us what it is. Because okay. glycemic load's real. I think glycemic load is the effect of the food with stuff in your stomach. Okay. You know what I mean? Like taking into account fiber, taking into account fat. The glycemic load's like a daily thing. Maybe a little bit more macro vision of it. So okay. it does matter. Okay. Uh, because I think we can all agree if you're only eating, uh, you know, another low GI food is fucking Snickers, right? You got peanut butter in there and chocolate. Uh, and delicious. Yeah, I'm hungry, man. Uh, bad episode. Uh, <laughs> should be hungry on. Um, if you're just eating table sugar all the time. Yeah. Yes, you're probably going to store a little bit more fat than if you weren't eating table sugar all the time and you had some kind of fiber, vegetables or something in you. I mm-hmm. think everyone's going to agree upon that. But it's just so unlikely we don't need to yeah. talk about it, right? And so I think that's the difference between kind of glycemic index talks about these situations that aren't real life and glycemic lows tries to talk about real life situations. So if you're if you're somebody who's a barback who's who's uh, got the hose on simple sugar and it's just going straight down your gullet. Yeah, if you only got Coca-Cola in the system. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the yeah, same thing, you know, soda making you fat. Well, like, yeah, but when, when you just like chugging liters of coke normally you got a fucking burger that's yeah. got a bunch of fat you're having some fries that's got some kind of fat and, and carbs and uh fiber as well so who knows L- lane will clear it up for you so we're going uh head over to lane norton lane norton's one of my favorite guys uh, uh doctor in nutritional science uh world record holding power lifter natural pro bodybuilder again one and i've mentioned this many times and hopefully our guests kind of represent this because it's what i think jim and i look for and an expert is someone that kind of uh talks the talk Mm-hmm. has the education, has the experience, and walks the walk. They've competed themselves. They've trained people to compete, um, plus the lifestyle. You know, he coaches tons of normal people, mm-hmm. and he does the, the background in science himself. So uh, he's got a whole bag of tricks. He's been in the industry for a very long time. He's one of the very uh, first people I began to read on Bodybuilding.com in yeah. 2009, maybe. Um, he was writing for them. So uh, excited to have him on here. we got a couple episodes with him. He's going to hopefully uh, clear some things up for us. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, how's Florida treating you? Cold today, actually. <laughs> you guys will laugh. But yeah, I woke up and there was ice on my windshield. I was like, what the f-? Like, Dang. And I had to, it was like 6.30 in the morning. I had to drive my son to school. And uh, I like, I didn't have a scraper because we just don't have those things in Florida. So I just took, <laughs> I took my monster can, the bottom of my monster can, scraped the off my window. Hey, you got to get it done. Uh, yeah, gotta gotta improvise. So we wanted to ask you about the glycemic index. Is it a big deal? Is it something we should be worried about? Is it something mm. we should be concerned about? Should we lose some sleep over it? Yeah. What's your feeling? What do you know about this? Well, as you all know, I don't have feelings on things. I have hypotheses supported <laughs> by data. There um, we go. So I think it's not completely unimportant. Um, I think we just have to keep in mind you know, Eric Helms has a good uh, kind of pyramid that he talks about, like what what's the most important thing and then kind of going up. Um, 
you know, insulin and glycemic index are going to be somewhere in the middle towards the top of the pyramid, right? Like they're, they're not your base. And what I mean by that is um, there was a study done, uh, actually several studies done, uh, but one in particular I'm thinking of by Kevin Hall, um, where they looked at um, ketogenic diet versus a like very low fat, very high carb diet. Like we're talking over 300 grams of carbs a day. Um, and looked at what happened with uh, fat loss, uh, metabolic rate, and uh, insulin. And what they found was, really interestingly, um, insulin was like over 20% lower in the ketogenic diet group over, over the course of the day, which you would expect because you're, you're in a ketogenic diet. Um, what was interesting was they didn't lose more fat. Um, and further, uh, there was another study done by Serwit where they fed like same protein, same carbohydrate, same fat. So two diet groups, exactly the same, but one got about like 110 grams of sugar a day. So sucrose extra, um, sorry, not extra, but as part of their carbohydrate intake. And the other group was around 10. So we're talking 10 times difference in sugar intake, vastly different glycemic load. And they showed no difference in fat loss and very little difference in like blood lipids, uh, like blood cholesterol, those sorts of things. Like by all intents and purposes, they had the same, very similar, uh, very similar improvements in, in, uh, in blood lipids and what you would consider kind of health markers. I want to uh, dive into insulin in a sec, but can you give us a quick uh, definition of maybe what the glycemic index even is? So basically, if you feed uh, the glycemic index, the way it works is if you feed uh, 50 grams of a carbohydrate source by itself and look at what the uh, glucose response is, so kind of the overall glucose load that appears in the bloodstream, that is what we consider the glycemic index. And it's rated on a scale of 100 with, uh, I believe, glucose being 100. And so you can kind of like you look at glucose and then there's things like bread are pretty far up there, potatoes pretty far up there. You know, you get things like oatmeal are kind of mid-range, um, fruits are pretty mid-range unless you're talking about like bananas and, and some other stuff. So it, it's kind of looking at, all right, how quickly and how much glucose is, is the body seeing uh, from a meal? Now, one of the things to keep in mind is we usually don't, we don't, well, I wouldn't say we usually don't, but a lot of times we're not eating a carbohydrate source in isolation. There's protein, there's fiber in it. And what they find is that when you put like a mixed meal with protein, fiber, and fat, it really washes out the effect of the glycemic index. You don't really see big differences in glycemic index when you also have a mixed meal. So that's why I've never been real uh, big on the glycemic index. And if you look at, there was actually a, um, there's two meta-analyses that have come out in the last five years that looked at basically their inclusion criteria was, did they measure things like blood lipids, blood sugar, all these sort of different markers, and were the studies uh, for you know fat loss, for the purpose of fat loss, and was they were trying to examine, was the effect on improvements in health simply a weight loss issue? So for example... Um, You'll see people and they say, well, I've been on a ketogenic diet and look at how good my blood markers are, but they also lost 50 pounds. So trying to tease apart, is it a weight loss effect or is there a specific diet effect to a low-carb versus low-fat diet? And what they found was 
about 95 to 99% of the effects, uh, the positive health effects from these diets could be explained by uh, simply weight loss, yeah, just that, by losing fat. That's kind of the question I want to get into. You literally just brought it up because, uh, you know, a lot of people probably, um, hopefully it followed you for a long time. I've followed you probably for 10 years. I've known you for six or seven and we've chatted about things like this. Uh, obviously, you're just on Rogan and had a big debate on these things. But I think nutritionists or fitness people or, or even everyday folks are having different conversations and they're trying to talk to each other, right? So some people are talking about weight loss. Some people are talking about performance. Some people are talking about aesthetics. Other people are talking about maybe longevity or whatever you want to call health. And right. so I think we need to break break these things down so everyone's on the same page and you tried to do that on on rogan's and, and, and for a second there seemed to be a disconnect with joe for a second he didn't understand what you were and and you you can correct me if i'm wrong but, but what you're trying to say is if we get these calories kind of in check insulin is a very small factor in that we start to lose weight and then our health goes up yeah that's right and and i think if you i think the other problem is that when i say something like that people kind of go the opposite direction there's and they say Lane's saying that um, you can have as much sugar as you want and insulin doesn't matter and glycemic index doesn't matter. And that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if you equate calories, um, they don't seem to matter very much at all. Um, now, if you're somebody who's just going to refuse to track calories, then using something like saying, well, I'm going to stick to low glycemic sources of carbohydrate is probably not a bad rule because by default, you're going to eat things that are more filling have more fiber and are going to satiate you more and you're less likely to overeat on. Right. 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 So I, I think that it, you know, con that's where, you know, context gets extremely lost in this sort of thing. And you even right down to people who are on a ketogenic diet say, well, I used to have to diet and now I don't even, I don't even have to restrict it anymore and I lose weight. Well, no, you're restricting. You just don't feel like you're restricted because for you, for whatever reason, because everybody's different on this, um, for you, uh, just eating protein and fat, you feel like you're eating more because of the volume of food you're eating and because you feel satiated. Right. Same but as maybe old school bodybuilders with tilapia and broccoli. Right. Yeah. So it's like the, the carnivore diet. People say, well, I, I just, I don't even have to restrict anymore. Well, it's really hard to overeat on meat, to be honest. Like <laughs> it's pretty hard, you know? So I, I think that I'm not trying to discount because I mean, literally any diet will work. You know, the, the, the question, and I, I mean, I just... I just am about to publish my new book, Fat Loss Forever. What you find is if you look in the, the research, what's really cool is there is not one diet that emerges as better than another diet in the long term. None of them. Zero. What, what emerges as being associated with uh, long-term weight loss and keeping it off is a set pattern of behaviors. So people just approach food differently who are able to lose weight and keep it off. Because anything can work. And I think if you're a coach, if you're a good coach and you pay attention, it's hard to be dogmatic because you will have seen all kinds of stuff work. It's like I saw Spencer Nadolsky make a post the other day and he said he used to be a really staunch low-carb advocate and still uses it as a tool. But he just saw too many different things work to say, hey, you just need to use this every time. So, you know, I think – and then one more thing specifically about insulin um, you know, there was actually a new study that came out. Uh, it was actually by a low carb group. I think it was by Dr. David Ludwig, who's a very staunch, uh, carbohydrate insulin, um, kind of, uh, hypothesis sort of guy. Yeah. We have it in front of us. And, actually, we're going to bring it up to you. 
<laughs> is that the new one? That's the, probably the new one. We think so, they also yeah. Did, they also did an older one. I just did a video on that one, but they also did an older one that was um, – they did something called Mendelian randomization, which is a really advanced technique where basically, for example, if the carbohydrate insulin um, you know, hypothesis is true, that it's insulin driving obesity and not calories or not overeating, then – and you would expect people who have, you know, people just inherently secrete different amounts of insulin. Some people secrete more, some people secrete less, just due to genetics and polymorphisms on their genes. So what you would expect is that based on um, their different polymorphisms and how much insulin they naturally secrete, that you would get a pretty strong relationship between uh, people who naturally secreted more insulin and body fat levels. Does that make sense? Yeah. So they did this study, and what they found was that insulin explained – now, this wasn't how they wrote the study up, but if you look at the actual statistics, this is what, this is what the data actually says. Insulin explained approximately uh, 1 to 10% of body fat levels. So that means it's not completely irrelevant, but it's also not the dominant factor. Right. And when so, you're talking in a video or podcast uh, with Joe or us or whoever, you're trying to kind of foul sweep this whole thing and say most people are going to have to worry about their macros. You're not going to say, oh, well, 1% has to worry about their insulin because they don't secrete enough and they should probably be eating lower carb. Well, I, you know, I think that one of the things is, is that if you're, if you're, if you're restricting or you're, you're tracking your macronutrients, um, you're going to be reducing your, you know, if you're, so let's take somebody who's obese, right? If you take them and you get them on a deficit, their insulin secretion is going to go down anyway. Right. So, you know, people look at it as just a pure carbohydrate thing, but, you know, carbohydrates and fats interact in the body. If you, you know, you're, you're a, um, you are a product of what you eat in terms of, you know, if you eat more fat, you burn more fat. But, you, you know, this is one of the figures. I'm actually going to post this today on my Instagram that, yes, you eat more fat and you burn more fat. But that's not talking about losing or gaining fat. That's just a metabolic pathway. Because mm. what happens is, yes, you burn more fat. You also store more fat simultaneously. Yeah, they're not talking about burning more fat. Yeah, burning right. adipose tissue is different than, than burning perhaps dietary fat that you ate. Right. So you, what you want to find out is you know, net fat balance. That is the rate of uh, fat storage minus the rate of fat oxidation. And so if that's in a positive state, and that's going to be determined by – Da, 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 your total energy balance. Yeah, yeah. So if you take something like a high carb diet where you don't burn much fat because the body is going to preferably choose carbohydrate to oxidize over fat when given the choice. Um, so you're not burning as much fat because your body's burning the carbohydrate. Well, people say, well, look at that. You're just not burning that much fat. Right. But if you're substituting on a calorie per calorie basis carbohydrate for fat, that means you're also eating a lot less fat. So yes, you're burning less fat, but you're also storing less fat. And again, the net, uh, whether you lose or gain body fat is going to depend on what your calorie balance or what your energy balance is. And energy balance, we can just say calories in, calories out. Right. And now a lot of people get this confused because they'll hear calories in, calories out, and they think of them as two independent, unchanging set factors. Or you'll hear people say something like, well, I, I don't believe in energy balance because I ate I, I, I was I was in a deficit and I didn't lose weight. <laughs> no. <laughs> so you 
you may have been what in what should have been or what you calculated to be a deficit and not lost weight. Right. But if you didn't lose weight, then by definition, you weren't in a deficit. Yeah, I mean, a 200-pound so, guy, maybe 2,000 calories is going to be in a deficit, but not every single person. Some people move more. Some people move less. Genetics are different. We don't know for a fact. The only way we know for a fact is if you track every day for a year, and now you got a good idea, and you're losing weight. That, that, that's correct. And, um, yeah, it's just the other thing is, too, is you know metabolic adaptation. So calories in, those are, those are not two independent variables. Calories in affects calories out. Um, Mike, you've you know you've been in bulking phases and you've been in cutting phases. When you when you started cutting, uh, you probably dropped weight pretty quick, and then there became a point at which the original calorie amount that you were taking in probably you just maintained after a certain point. Am I am I on point here? Yeah, one hundred percent. Right. So, and by the same token, when you were eating more calories and trying to gain, you probably got to the point where you felt like you just couldn't gain regardless of how many calories you were shoving in your mouth. It just seemed like, um, you know, you were probably up to a pretty high level and kind of maintaining your weight or barely gaining. And that'd be also accurate. Yep. Pizza buffets every day. And I stuck at 234. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, those two factors influence each other and people don't realize that. And so does your experience invalidate calories in versus calories out? No. What it means is that if you consume more calories over time, You'll probably burn more calories. You know, obese people, for the most part, don't have slower metabolic rates than we'd predict. Most of them have normal metabolic rates. Usually, well, there's a lot of things going on, but they have um, a little bit of appetite dysregulation, and also most of them are sedentary. That's a huge thing that people don't realize is that uh, exercise, people have gotten exercise wrong. You'll hear things like, um, you know, exercise doesn't really burn fat. You know, if you just exercise, it doesn't really drop body fat, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever heard that, or that the amount of exercise contributes very little to your overall daily calorie burn. Yeah. Um, that's somewhat true, but exercise sensitizes you to satiety signals. There's actually really strong evidence of this. So uh, they, there was a group of Bengali workers in the 1950s that did this really cool study where they looked at uh, three different activity levels, or sorry, sorry, four, sedentary, lightly active, moderately active and very active so like heavy labor jobs right and what they found and they looked at their calorie intake now these people didn't track macros or anything they're just letting them eat ad libitum um, the people who were lightly to heavily active almost completely matched their calorie intake intuitively so there was almost a linear relationship so as the active they consume more calories to offset their activity the people who were sedentary ate more than the people who were lightly active and moderately active and there's a lot of evidence to show especially in animals uh that if you add exercise to sedentary that they will actually spontaneously consume less food so that's why exercise is such an important component if you look at people who lose fat and keep it off um over 70% of them do habitual exercise. It's so important. So you're saying that like a basal metabolic rate is a lot less important than um, a, society, a satiety drive kind of. Well, for, for obese, probably because obese people, people who tend to, because the question is like, let's take Mike's experience, for example, like he was overfeeding and got to the point where he felt like he couldn't really gain any more weight. Right, Mike? Right. So, 
like how could somebody become obese if we have this tight regulation where you know metabolism adapts in both ways well for people who are sedentary that gets dysregulated their satiety signals don't function as well and there's probably some genetic component to that as well that they tend to be predisposed to to that but that's why exercise is so important for especially for them because uh, they're much more predisposed to eating past those satiety signals, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah it does. Yeah. To uh, bring it around just a sec, you talked about people uh, secreting different amounts of insulin because of genetics and things of that nature, and also metabolic rates uh, vary genetically. Maybe not as, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think people uh, overestimate or, or uh, over-exaggerate what people's metabolic rates vary. You know, it's not like a 200-pound guy, one guy can eat 10,000 calories and the other guy has to eat 1,000 to maintain. Um, you know, they're probably closer than what the world might think. And Right, it, for, the most part, for the most part, you're, you're very accurate. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I don't have numbers in my fucking head, but something, something like that, that <laughs> especially, especially the general public, you know, the fitness world might, might understand that a little bit more. Um, in terms of insulin, how varied is that? And how do we know? And is there a group, uh, obviously diabetics one and two have to pay a little bit more attention to, uh, maybe glycemic index or their carb sources. Um, but what does the normal person have to pay attention to? And how do we know if our insulin's good, bad, or the other? Well, to be honest with you, I actually don't know how much it varies just based off offhand. I don't, I don't know those numbers. So there's, there's my, uh, my pittance for the day, me saying the magic <laughs> words, I don't know. Um, you guys know I'm big on that. When you, when you don't know something, just say you don't know and don't try to BS it. Yeah, um, true that. My, 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 my guess is it's probably a variation of like 10 to 20%. It's probably the normal variation, but that's just a guess for me. But I, I, I would bet that if, if, we looked into that it'd be pretty pretty close um but i can't say that i know that for sure um and you know again i I don't want to it's all context dependent right so somebody like i remember years ago i get this from bodybuilders who were worried that their 50 grams or 75 grams of dextrose that they were taking post-workout was going to make them a type 2 diabetic right (laughs) and i'm like Guys, there's a there's a big difference between somebody who just did a two hour training session taking a glucose drink to restore glycogen, which I'm not actually big on that either, but but regardless. Um, there's a big difference between that and a a fat ass sitting on the couch stuffing his face with, with chips. Yeah, you know every what I mean? Like day. Th- 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 there's a big difference. You know, there's a really big difference. And then again, like there's studies that show that for the most part, overeating carbs doesn't really make you fat if we're talking about like overeating just carbs and not fat what makes people fat is overeating carbs and fats yeah in fact you know people make a big deal about sugar but if you talk if you look at the foods they normally talk about they're talking about foods that are fat high in fat and sugar right like we're yeah. talking we're talking about cakes cookies donuts you know that kind of stuff you know you know, you could argue like Skittles and sugary sodas. Okay, sugary sodas are a little bit different because they have really no satiety hit because they're liquid. Um, but, you know, here's one thing I don't think I've ever heard is an obese person say, gosh, I just can't seem to stop eating fruit. Right. Yeah, or rice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, watching, pe- watching God, the, just, the, the late night show and eating a bowl of rice. Yeah, I just can't seem to stop eating baked potato plain. You know, like <laughs> no, when, just a great example of that is people don't people use like you say like all oh, the GI index. 
an actual white baked potato plain is actually the most satiating food there is. Like, try to get through no butter, mm. nothing like that, no butter, just a plain baked potato. It, yeah. It's hard to eat the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, it's tough to eat it. Now, if you add butter to it, now we, you know, go town. <laughs> yeah, a little cheese, a little bacon bits. <laughs> now you're talking exactly. about language. Right, exactly. And that's why that super, what tends to trip the the hunger algorithm or the the ability to overeat, you know, past our normal satiety signals is when you have that really, that, that combination of carbohydrate or sugar and fat. So, you know, that's why I always tell people, I'm like, are, are you really addicted to sugar? Are you really? Because the foods that you're telling me you can't stop eating are actually have more calories from fat than sugar. Uh, bringing it back around to the most recent uh, study by David, uh, Dr. David Ludwig, uh, Basically, you know, a pull quote out of this is that people who are higher insulin secretors for whatever reason uh, were burning between 308 and 478 more calories a day on a low-carb diet. And these are people who were overweight to begin with. And this is 20 weeks into their, into their diet. What do you think is going on there? Okay, so the, the, the latest study, I j actually just did a video on my channel. So anybody who's not subscribed to me, go to uh, youtube.com slash biolane and you can check out this, uh, this video where I break the study down. So there's a couple things going on. So first of all, and I don't want to be all conspiracy theorists because I, you know, I don't, I can't know somebody's intent because I'm not in their head. Yeah. Right. Um, so this study was actually not done in fat loss. This study was done. If it's the one I'm thinking of the most recent one, what they did was they had people lose weight on a run-in diet that was actually 45% carbohydrate, which is funny. Um, they had them lose about – they had to lose at least, I think, 10% of their body weight. And then they switched them to three different groups for uh, maintenance. And it was 60% carbohydrate, 40% carbohydrate, and 20% carbohydrate. Yep. And their outcome measure was not fat loss – it was uh, energy expenditure and uh, how much they could eat to maintain their body weight. So first off, even let's, let's assume full stop, everything about the study is true. It does not say that a low-carb diet is better for fat loss. What it might say is maybe you can eat more and not gain weight. Maybe you can overeat more on a low-carb diet and not gain weight than a high-carb diet. Okay? Yeah. But it's... It's not measuring fat loss because we have those studies and they don't show a difference. Do you now, think that might be true though? Maybe because we don't really have a bunch of low carb over overfeeding studies. Yeah, yeah, so like a maybe. bunch or maintenance studies don't seem to be as cool or popular. Right, of course. So now, if we go back though, um, they measured energy expenditure using a very precise method called uh, doubly labeled water. So basically, it's a really advanced uh, scientific technique where. Now, full disclosure, I've never done this technique, so I'm just telling you what I learned uh, from grad school. But basically, you give people uh, labeled water, and based on uh, how much of that label you find in their breath, uh, you can kind of extrapolate their metabolic rate with relatively good precision. Now, the problem is that is what's, what we like to call a, uh, a steady-state measurement. You have to have the person in a steady state. And in the first seven out of their eight protocols from this lab, uh, they ran the, the comparison with that dual-labeled water using their, the subject's pre-diet weight, 
okay, using their pre-diet information. On the ACE study, after things were unblinded, so after they could had access to the data, all of a sudden they submit a change in their protocol to where they're using the post-diet information for the comparison. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now that's that's hard to kind of relate to the layman. People go, well, what the hell does that mean? The the point being, uh, Kevin Hall went back, took their data, reran it based on their original protocol that was listed in their study, and it was used on the first seven of eight, and found that when he reran it using the other the 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 method they first proposed that's usually used, there was no difference between groups. Mm. So all of a sudden, now there's a difference. Now, again, the, the authors have addressed this, and they, they claim that um, you know, there's, the way they changed it was more valid for what they wanted to measure. Um, but typically, you're not supposed to use a steady state measure in a non-steady state. It's the same reason. Um, like, so, for example, I do have some experience with this insofar as when we measure protein synthesis, we use a tracer as well. And uh, when you, if you're going to use what we call stable isotope infusion, you have to have the subject in a steady state um, because you need to know the rate of incorporation of your label. Uh, in, the, in the case of us, we used uh, labeled phenylalanine. I know I'm going way over everybody's head no, right it's now. Good, it's good. <laughs> but, but if we were going to do a feeding study, what we would have to do is something called a flooding dose where we just, you know, you could really only do it in rats where you inject, uh, it's a tail vein injection and you inject a huge dose of the label. So now you don't have to worry about the rate of incorporation label. You just put in such a huge dose that you can be relatively sure that any phenylalanine that gets incorporated into muscle protein in that time where you're measuring was a late was labeled. Okay. Anyway, that's how you do non-steady state stuff. But you can't really do it with labeled water because there's no way you could ingest enough labeled water to, quote-unquote, flood the system. So anyway, point being, after all that fuckery, um, that if you go back and run it the way they originally said that they were going to analyze it, you see no differences. Now, again, I can't know intent. People, are, people have said to me, well, do you think the researchers, you know, fudge this, this and that? I don't know. I, I you know, it's Harvard. Um, it's a good lab. They have different ideals than me. I don't want to assume that they just, you know, fudged it just because they have a different hypothesis than me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it just, it is a little bit weird. We'll take it for um, what it is and see what happens in the yeah. future. Right, right, exactly. We want to see it validated. So Light- the, one, uh, the one other thing is, in that study... And you think about this. So they were. They said, "Well, we were able to feed the people who were on the low carb diet more, and they maintained their weight." Well, remember, on a low carb diet, you well, first off, they gave them a range of two kilograms, right, that they could stay within. So that's a that's a good shimmy range. Um, and I understand why they did it because you can fluctuate a lot. Mm. But on a low carb diet, what happens? You lose water weight. You lose a lot of water weight. So somebody could drop a couple pounds of water weight, and then the researchers would have been able to add in food, not nefariously, but just sure. you know, they lost they lost weight. We need to adjust their, their calories up because their maintenance is higher. But that may very well explain why they were able to eat more and maintain, quote-unquote, their original body weight. Yeah, yeah, less water fluctuations perhaps. Yeah. 
so just to put a button on it, I guess, uh, if people are fetishizing the glycemic index and they're losing weight, we shouldn't criticize them. We should just let them be because it doesn't matter that much one way or the other. But if they feel it does, then we should just let them run. Yeah? Well, I mean, if, if somebody you know says, hey, I, I like this way of eating, it feel, I always start with what's sustainable. Yeah. What's sustainable for somebody. And whatever somebody – that's very individual. What people, some people feel keto is sustainable. Some people feel carnivore is sustainable. Some mm-hmm. people feel, you know, this is sustainable. That, look, it's not my job to judge what they feel is sustainable. The only thing I criticize people for is when they, because people, bros make the mistake of because something worked for them, they want to apply it to everybody. Right. Right. So, you know, and science bros make the mistake of, well, this is what the average in the study says, so this is what every individual should do. And the reality is that, um, you know, there doesn't seem to be any magic in terms of, you know, it's calories in, calories Mm. out. But the way in which you create calories in, calories out, that works for you in terms of feelings like, feels like a sustainable lifestyle is different for the individual. So that's where some people say, hey, I love intermittent fasting. I don't feel restricted. You know, if I just eat, you know, my food in an eight-hour time frame, I don't overeat. Well, hey, hell yeah, have have at it. But don't tell me there's some magic with intermittent fasting that makes it so you can eat whatever the hell you want. You don't you don't lose, you don't gain fat because that's just not true. Uh, Lane, thanks for uh, tackling glycemic index and beyond. Uh, <laughs> I think um, you know the glycemic index, like you said, uh, may just not necessarily have a daily. Uh, application to the majority of the world. Maybe maybe um, other things might. Uh, this is your time to plug away, Lane. Uh, where can people find you? Yeah, so, you know, anything deal with me, uh, biolane.com. Most of my social media is biolane, so B-I-O-L-A-Y-N-E. Um, I do have one book out already, the Complete Contest Prep Guide, which is um, a literal A to Z you you never you want to compete in bodybuilding. You have no idea how to do it. This can get you ready. Um, and but even like advanced people have used it and done really well, and uh, it's sold extremely well. Very proud of it. So it's a people. I didn't call it this. A couple of people have called it the uh, bodybuilding contest prep bible. Um, but it's for it's for any division, any physique division. We cover bikini, figure, men's physique, all that stuff. Uh, and then I have. Um, a new book that's going to be dropping probably before Christmas um, that's called Fat Loss Forever. And that's kind of my fat loss manifesto. And that tackles things from a little bit. We actually go a little bit more into detail about how fat loss actually works and how diets actually work. But then we also take a step back and frame it in such a way that it's not just here, eat this many macros. It's also, hey, these are the behaviors you need to lose weight and keep it off. And we put it in such a way that it basically, it's going to be like your fat loss companion and teach you how to lose it and keep it off for the rest of your life. Well, I ordered that book, so I'm looking forward to that dropping. Oh, thank you. Well, you're welcome. You would. You're welcome. Thanks again to Lane Norton for being on the show. You can find Silent Mike on Instagram and Twitter, Silent Mike with two Ks. I am the Jim McDee on all the social medias. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at 50% Facts, 50% Facts. 
If you are feeling good about this show, we'd appreciate you getting on the podcasting platform of your choice and leaving us a favorable review. Apple Podcasts is our favorite place for you to do that, but anywhere that you happen to listen to the show, including Spotify, is awesome. We'll be back next week, back to the macronutrients uh, with fat. The day after Christmas, what'd you get for Christmas? Fat. I got fat. <laughs>